1 Corinthians chapter 12 is our base scripture. We're going to continue on this subject. A few weeks back, I was preaching out of Ephesians 4 about the, the uh, fivefold ministry gifts of the Spirit, and I just, in passing, sort of touched on the manifestation gifts and the motivational gifts, three different sets of gifts. And somebody came to me after, several people, in fact, and said, I, I really wish you would expound in depth on the gifts of the Spirit. And so I prayed about it, and I just really felt that was the Lord's direction. So we've been spending a little time on this, and we're going to continue through it until we get done. And uh, I, I hope it's been in, informative to you, and, and it's helping you out. Uh, so anyway, First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. In verse 4 it says, There are diversities of gifts. But the same Spirit, there are differences of ministries, but it's the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts, plural of healings, plural, by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit work all, works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ. So what we've looked at thus far is, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. The word that there is uh, pneumatica. It means, it comes from the Greek word hurak. It just means the breath, the life, the source, the nature of the spirit. In other words, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual things, the spiritual things of God. Because it was God's intention for us to understand the person of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He's a personality just like God. God is this self-existent I am. But He expressed Himself in the triune Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And so He is a person. And just like God, the Holy Spirit, and I pointed this out last week, He has attributes just like God has attributes. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Those attributes have never ceased, never will cease. He said, I am the same. Jesus Christ, the attributes of him. He said, I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the mega, the first and the last. He always was that. John 1 tells us in the beginning he was here. Amen? He's always been. The attributes of God does not change. The attributes of Christ does not change. And what we looked at last week, and somebody actually came to me and says, I have never heard an argument against the cessation teaching using the attributes of God and the Holy Spirit. So that was amazing. And I thought, I haven't either. I just was studying, and I, it occurred to me, the attributes of God don't change. The attributes of the Holy Spirit doesn't change either. There's absolutely no biblical grounds for, this, for the teaching of cessation, meaning that some of these things have ceased. God doesn't cease. <laughs> he, he can't cease. 
He's God. He couldn't do that. And so the attributes of the Holy Spirit, he's a comforter, he's a teacher, he's a guide, he's the giver of life, he is the source of power. His fruits, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, is all the same today as it always has been and always will be. And the same thing is true with the gifts of the Spirit. So we've been looking at the subject, are, are the gifts of the Spirit for today? And we have been uh, pointing out that I am a staunch continuist. If you want to know how, what we're labeled as, we believe that what God began, He continues to do. And what He did on the day of Pentecost, He continues to do today. It has not ceased. It will not cease until that which is perfect has come. Now the argument, that's the only scripture that cessations pull out of scripture to try to make their argument. That we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away with. And, and, and they, uh, they insist that that which is perfect is a reference to the canonized scripture. However, we know that is not what that's talking about. That which is perfect is talking about the glorified body of Jesus Christ coming back to rule and reign on the earth. I'm amillennial. I, I believe that God's going to set his kingdom up on the earth. It will reign for a thousand years, and we will rule and reign with him. There's a teaching called the Manifestation Sons of God or the latter, days, uh, latter Rain Outpouring that believes that we are going to be in our glorified body here and now. And we are going to establish the kingdom, and when we get all this worked out, then Jesus is going to show up and run the thing. I don't think we're going to work this thing out, y'all. Come on. No, Jesus is going to appear one day, and every eye will see him. That is the second coming of Christ. That's not the rapture. The rapture will be secretive. And, and I've pointed out many times it's secretive. Jesus ascended to the Father secretive. He told Mary in the garden, don't touch me. I'm not yet ascended to my Father. The next time you see him, he said, here, Thomas, touch my hands. Touch my side. See, I am flesh and bone like you. He had ascended to the Father, but nobody saw it. He went and he came again, secretive, and the next time they saw him, he said, and they, they stood gazing, and he ascended into the heaven. They said, why do you stand gazing into the heavens? The same Jesus you see go will come again as you have seen him go. One time secret, one time public. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom, and boy, I have digressed. I jumped a rabbit right there. Amen, but we're aiming here. We're going to, he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. But until that time, he gives gifts unto the church. And he said to, to us that I don't want you to be like the Gentiles who were swept away unto dumb idols the way they were led. In other words, they would work themselves up into a frenzy, enter into a spirit realm, meet with some deity, which was nothing more than a demonic spirit, receive something from that supposed deity and come back and share it with the group. He said, I don't want you to be like that. That's not the way I operate. I don't want you to be ignorant about how the Holy Spirit operates. And what he's saying is it doesn't operate like that. You don't have to work yourself up into a Pentecostal frenzy for the Holy Spirit to move. You can just be there. The only thing you have to do for the gifts of the Spirit to operate in you is just be. It is a natural part of who we are 
God doing things supernaturally. And, and many times I pointed out last week, I think the Holy Spirit manifests in us and we don't even realize that he has done that. Sometimes that happens, you know, not always, but sometimes. And so <clears throat> uh, the gifts work in and through you to affect those around you in a very unpretentious way, naturally, supernaturally. Now, uh, you just simply have to make yourself available and be willing and I, as a, a side note, I said, uh, it helps to learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit, but it's not mandatory, because sometimes He uses you, and you don't even know that He has used you. It's not a requirement. Now, we've, we're looking at the nine manifestation gifts. They're in three different categories. We've been looking at the insightful or revelation gifts of the word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Today, we're going to be looking at the discerning of spirits. Then there's the power gifts I'm going to be touching on next week. It's the trio of misunderstood gifts of faith, healing, and miracles. And they all really kind of intertwine and connect. And, and, and I have found some material. It is, some, it is the best material. I wanted to preach on it today. It was so good. On healing, I have never read this before. It was the most sound doctrine I've ever heard on the subject. And I can't In fact, I was praying in the back about that. I was like, God... I want to teach on that today, but there's some things I need to process myself so that I even understand this a little better and can convey it to you so much clearer. So y'all pray for me this week as I'm studying that material, but it's going to be really good. You don't want to miss next Sunday. And then, the, uh, then we're going to follow up with the utterance gifts of prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. Words of knowledge, though, we've touched on, and they're important. Come on, we really pointed out how important it is for us to be here to benefit the body of Christ. It's not necessarily to benefit you, but God will use you many times. And I remember I told you the story about the guy. He, he saw, he, he was impressed that Jesus bent down and kissed this lady on her cheek. Remember that? And he was reluctant to tell her. And when he told her, he discovered that she had backed out of her driveway and ran over her two-year-old child. And she told her husband, said, I believe that God has abandoned me and I will never know his kiss again. And God just wanted to bless her so much and comfort her that he impressed upon this man that Jesus kissed her in a, in a worship service. And he went and told her that. Isn't that in, incredible how God would comfort one like that? You know, and another time when he, he, he said uh, he was praying and he said, I need to pray with this lady about her daughter and, and how God impressed that. Just the other, I was sharing too last Sunday how that uh, when we had the marriage seminar and the husbands, we wound it up with communion. Because listen, I can give you all the information in the world, but you need Jesus in your marriage. Amen. And so we ended it with the communion. Let's, let's be in communion with God. And we had the men come up to get the communion to take back and serve their wives. And Rebecca was watching and she said, I saw the hand of God. In the, it, this is a vision. I don't know if you saw it, saw it, but you, it was impressed upon her mind that there was a crown being placed on their head and she heard this in her spirit just the impression that what she felt God was saying was these are my most precious gems is that what it was these are my most precious gems and she shared that with me and I told you about the prophecy I received in Bible college the prophet said the hand of the Lord is upon you talking to me he said the hand of the Lord is upon you I see you digging into a mountain digging deep into that mountain bringing out those precious stones and those precious gems and if it wasn't for anybody else, it was for me. That was a word of knowledge to, 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 um, to um, what's the word? 
verify, I don't know, that's not the word, but confirmation, thank you, to confirm what God had told me. Almost, oh, good grief, 35 years ago. I don't know, it's been a while. Anyway, I, I digress again. And so, one other I'm going to read, and then we're going to get into our teaching this morning. Um, Charles Spurgeon, who's ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Come on, if you know anything about Christianity, you know he's like the greatest preacher. Every pastor in the world has studied Charles Spurgeon. In 1834 to 1892 was when he lived. He tells of an incident in the middle of his sermon where he was paused and he pointed at a man who he accused of taking an unjust profit on Sunday of all days. The culprit later described the event to his friend. Quote, he said, Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me. And in his sermon, he pointed to me and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sunday. And I did. Sir, I should not have minded that, but he also said that I took nine pence the Sunday before and that there was a four pence profit of it. I did take nine pence that day, and four pence was just the profit. But how he should know that, I could not tell. Then he struck me with he struck me that it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut up my shop the next Sunday. At first, I was afraid to go again to hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. <laughs> but afterwards, I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. Now Spurgeon said to that, he said, I could tell. Uh, as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed to somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it. And so striking has been my description that the person, having gone away and said to his friends, Come, see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent of God to my soul, or else he could not have described me so exactly. And not only so, but I have known many instances in which the thoughts of men have been revealed from the pulpit. I have sometimes seen people nudge their neighbors with their elbow because they had got a smart hit. <laughs> and they have been heard to say when they were going out, the preacher told us just what we said to one another when we went in at the door. On other occasions, it's worth noting that in which Spurgeon broke off his sermon and pointed at a young man declaring, Young man, those gloves you are wearing has not been paid for. You have stolen them from your employer. After the service, the man brought the gloves to Spurgeon and asked him not to tell his mother, who would be heartbroken to discover that her son was a thief. The information could not be found by Spurgeon from reading the Bible. It was undeniably spontaneous Overly supernatural and revelatory. Even Charles Spurgeon had words of knowledge. So we wonder, are these gifts for today? What would be your answer? Without a doubt, they are for today. But are they always from God? Ooh, now let's get into the subject today. 
We talked about words of wisdom also. That's just simply having the knowledge how to apply, the ability to apply knowledge. Because you can have knowledge and not have a clue what to do with it. And, and I said that that is what I call the Barney Fife gifting. You know, because Barney comes with this great idea, and then he said, that's it, Barney. And he's like, what, what? <laughs> you know, and I believe words of wisdom come sometimes, and it's like, it's just the answer. It's just what we need to do. And you're like, what, what? So I came up with a great idea. No, you didn't. God did. Amen. So we're, it's one of the most humble gifts I believe there is, is the gift of the word of wisdom. Because you often don't even know that you gave it. Because you didn't. God did, and you were just the vessel he used. Come on, if he can speak to a donkey, he can use me, right? <laughs> Everybody say, hee-haw. Amen. Come on. He can use you. Discerning of spirits. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before your throne today. God, we pray that you reveal truth. Lord, you said that we will know the truth, and it is that truth that makes us free. Jesus is the truth. God, you said sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So, God, today we pray that you would just help us, Lord, to walk through this, to understand it. Father, we come against every lying spirit, God, in Jesus' name. You said whatsoever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. We bind every lying demonic spirit that would whisper into our ear to our heart today in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we release truth. God, we release uh, uh, your word, God, straight from your throne. Lord, you give us anointing to preach, the anointing to hear today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now... <clears throat> There is understandably legitimate concern about revelation from God apart from Scripture. I understand that. That if prophecy or words of knowledge or words of wisdom were to be given today, or if God were to speak to His people through any other means like dreams, for example, or visions, what is to prevent one from inserting new verses new chapters, new books to the already closed, canonized Scripture. And that that new revelation would bear the name of the contemporary prophet who gives it. What's to prevent that? That is a concern to have. And it is a legitimate concern because we have seen that happen. Has anybody ever heard of Joseph Smith, for example? who alleged that a spirit visited him, an angel named Moroni led him to a place in upstate New York, and he discovered golden tablets buried in the ground, which he dug up with supernatural spectacles that he could put on and read it. Nobody ever saw it but Joseph Smith. And out of that, he wrote the Book of Mormon, another revelation of Jesus Christ which is nothing more than a demonic cult. Have you ever heard of Charles Taze Russell? Charles Taze Russell was another false prophet that got a revelation from God that there's only 144,000 elect, and they all happen to live in the watchtower in New York that translates the Scripture. No one else can translate it accurately but them. So they rewrote the Bible, the New World Translation of the Jehovah Witnesses which said that Jesus was not God, that he himself was a created being, that he and Michael the archangel are one in the same. 
And to assert that, they had to rewrite the Bible and denying the lordship of Jesus Christ, which the Bible tells you in 1 John that anyone that comes and says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh as God is of the spirit of Antichrist. So, I mean, you, don't, you know the word. That cannot be true. But there is that possibility that those things will happen. People will say, I've got a revelation from God, Ellen White. We started the Seventh-day Adventist. Herbert W. Armstrong started a, a movement called the Worldwide Church of God that teaches the false doctrine of Anglo-Israelism, that the Jews are not the real Jews, that the British are. And it's a perverted teaching that has come through demonic influences of people asserting that they have heard from God. And they give this revelation and they add to the Scripture. That's a concern. Amen? So when we say, God told me something, if you say that, you better have heard from God. Amen? And it doesn't change anything in this book. And if it goes against this book, it ain't God. Amen? Furthermore, if people begin to act and believe in response to their claim of having, quote, heard God or having received a revelation, they're relevant... <clears throat> Their uh, reliance on the sufficiency of the Bible for the all of life could be undermined. And it would result in people living their lives and often justifying bizarre or at least unwise behavior based on subjective impression rather than on objective, infallible, written Word of God. See, I don't live my life based on what God told me to do. I live my life on what the Word of God has told me to do. And when God directs me, it is in keeping with His Scripture, always. And if it's not, this is always your plumb line. If you believe God is speaking to you, giving you revelation, check it. This is your plumb line. Amen? <clears throat> People could neglect or ignore the counsel of Scripture because of something, quote, God told them. Worse still, they could be prone to control and manipulate others on the authority of some divinely revealed directive. Now, I can understand that concern. I appreciate those fears. Because like you, I have known people who have claimed that they have heard from God or they have received some revelation from the Spirit who quite obviously have not. I shared with you last week, remember, this lady said that God told her to put her hand on another woman's breast and stick her hand in her pants and pray that she would be fruitful and nurturing in the spirit realm, which I had to call in and tell her she could no longer minister to people in our church, and if she was caught ministering one-on-one, -on -one, she would be escorted from this church and not allowed to return. Because that was not God, I'm going to tell you, Amen. You can't just say, well, God told me to do something, and I have the liberty to do, to do whatever I want to to you. Quite often, I won't even lay hands on people to pray for them until I've asked them, is it okay if I lay hands on you? We just don't have the liberty to do what we want to to other people because God told me to. And so I understand these concerns. And it's been that kind of bizarre or at least unwise behavior that has caused people to say, that couldn't be God. God doesn't act that way, and quite honestly, God doesn't act that way in some cases, some of the things that we've seen. 
And so this can be a real problem. But the Bible provides a remedy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 that we must judge any utterance or word that comes to us claiming to have been the revelation of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Are you with me? Say amen. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who is sitting by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all men learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophet. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches out of all the saints. In other words, God is not going to come upon me and I just have to prophesy. No, my spirit is subject to me. I can keep my mouth shut or I can open my mouth and speak. And if I believe that God has given me a word for the body and somebody else is prophesying, we're going to get into that a little bit later, but you keep silent and let them finish. And then you prophesy because God's not the author of confusion. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he commands us to weigh, assess, and evaluate those who prophesy. Verse 20, it says, do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. If what they said passes the test, in other words, you embrace it. If not, you reject it as something that is evil. And then in 1 John 4, he said this. Test the spirits to see if they are from God or not. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we discern spirits when the Holy Spirit manifests that gift in you. Now, again, let me point out, people say, well, I have the gift of discernment. There's no such thing. People say, well, I have the gift of healing. There is no such thing. It is a manifestation of the gift of the Spirit that manifests in a person. They don't possess it. So it is not the gift of discernment. You can't just go discern everything. It is when the Holy Spirit moves in you to discern that something is not right spiritually. About a pl- It can be a place. It can be a person. It can be a situation. That something spiritually is off there. Let me give you an example, and I'm going to digress here again. When I was in Bible college, I was witnessing to one of the guys at work. And I, I was trying to spend some time fellowshipping with him, so we went hunting together. And I said, well, where do you want to go? He said, well, I know this place. And we pulled up. I'd never been there before. And when I turned in, it, l- let me just, just describe this. Have you ever been in a dark room and somebody said, Boo! And all of a sudden you go, do you know what I'm talking about? That happened to me when I turned in there. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? And when we pulled up in there, there was an old, old, really old graveyard. This is in South Carolina with old trees and Spanish malls and creepy. You know what I'm saying? And on the ground, there was pentagrams painted. And all kinds of words that I didn't know what they meant. And there had been some kind of a satanic ritual. Satanic, satanic. Satanic ritual that had taken place there. I didn't even have to see that to know something was wrong. When I turned in there, there was a spiritual atmosphere there that said, yuck. And the manifestation of the Holy Spirit manifested in me that there is something spiritually not good here. 
And so I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but it's not something you possess. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he's, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, how does this, the devil devour a believer? First of all, we don't have to be afraid that demons are going to hurt me. Because they don't have dominion over you. You have dominion over them. Amen. If you're a believer, you have dominion over demon spirits. Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus said, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. When he sent the 70 out in Luke chapter 10, they came back in verse 17 and says, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give unto you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. What is he saying? He's not saying it's a bad thing that demons are subject to you. What is he saying is casting out demons won't save you. Don't be excited that demons are subject to you. Because demons can be cast out by people that don't even live for Jesus. Because it's not them that's casting them out. It's the name of Jesus that's causing demons to have to tremble. And even when the name of Jesus is used by a sinful person, demons have to submit. I'm going to show you why that's true. Matthew chapter 7, look at this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of the Father in heaven. What do we rejoice about? Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. We've cast out demons in your name. We've done many wonders in your name. And he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You have to stop and say, wait a minute. They're prophesying in his name doing mighty wonders in his name, even casting out demons in his name, and they don't even live for him. Has that ever occurred to you? Because I just saw that for the first time in my studies this week. I've read that scripture, used it many times, but it never occurred to me, these are sinful people casting demons out. So you're wondering, well, if I speak to a demon, is it going to listen to me? I, you know, last week I, I, got, I lost my temper or I this or I that, and I'm not living a perfect life. And, I mean, he's going to look at me and say, yeah, I know who you are, and I know what you did. Who do you think you are telling me to get out? Is it going to work for me? Can I answer that for you? Yeah, it's going to work. Why? Because you're not the one doing it. It's invoking the name of Jesus. These are sinful people casting out demons. I never saw that before. I was like... Has anybody ever been afraid to try to, like, I'm going to take authority over that demon's because, like, well, what if he starts pointing out stuff he knows about me? Come on, let's be honest. Huh? He's like, who do you think you are? I know what you do. The name of Jesus is going to work. How does Satan devour us then? It's not because he has power to hurt you, but it's because he has power to deceive you, to cause you to depart the face and to practice lawlessness. Now, we fight against demons. That's true. 
Ephesians 6 tells us that. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But more times than not, demons are not just floating around whispering in our ear. They do that. They're lying spirits. And just like the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to the saints. These are fallen angels. And so they, they do inhabit the atmosphere. All right. When, when Jesus said whatsoever you bind on earth it's bound in heaven. Listen, there's nothing in heaven where Jesus is residing that needs to be bound. He's not talking about in the kingdom of God. He's talking about the spirit realm where the angelic realm and the demonic realm inhabit. And what you bind in the natural is bound in the spiritual. Do you understand that? What you loose in the natural is loosed in the spiritual. And so they do live in the atmosphere, but more times than not, they dwell in a human host. People are often, uh, they, they not necessarily possess, but they often have demons and we see that in Matthew chapter 12 Jesus is talking he says when an unclean spirit goes out of a man he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none then he says I will return to my house from whence I came and when he comes he finds it empty swept and put in order then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. So it could be that you could be the person that demon spirit is looking to inhabit. Now, I'm a firm believer that Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Because the Bible te- the what is our source? The Bible says, you're the, know you not, you are the temple of God, and what dwells in you? Spirit of God dwells in you. And I can tell you right now, the Holy Spirit is not going to roommate with a demon. They're not going to occupy the same space. In fact, if the Holy Spirit's living there, there ain't no demon wants to live up in there with him. Amen. And so that's an absurd thing because there was a teaching in demonology years ago. It's a people that was very dear to me. We went to visit them and they're talking about, yeah, last night my husband looked over me and said, there's a demon in me. Cast it out. She said, I cast that thing out of him. And I'm looking at them like, have you lost your mind? Your husband didn't have no demon in him. Not if he's a Holy Spirit-filled Christian, and he was. Because they'd gotten off into some of this revelation from God that wasn't from God. That superseded scripture, which doesn't supersede scripture. Anyway, are you still with me? Say amen. I'm almost done. Stay with me. There are three different realms that I believe that we deal with when it concerns spirits. It's the human spirit. You have a spirit. In fact, you are a triune being, right? You have a spirit. You have a body. You have a soul. When your spirit leaves your body, you're gone. All right? You're dead. Because Paul said it would be absent from the bodies to be in the presence of God. Well, what leaves the body? It's my spirit. All right. And there's also demon spirits and there's the Holy Spirit or divine spirits. We know that angels are spirits as well. They don't come inside of you, but they are messengers sent to minister to you, the Bible says. They're ministering spirits. So he tells us to be sober and to be vigilant, not because they can hurt you, but because he can deceive you. 
Now, 1 Timothy chapter 4 tells us, Now the Spirit especially says in the last time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, what is a deceiving spirit? That is a spirit that lies directly to you. He whispers lies into your ear. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's always accusing you of things. But let me tell you something else he does. He accuses God. What was the first thing Satan did in the Garden of Eden? Hath God said. Hath God said. He's calling God into question. God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, you will be like him. In other words, God lied to you. He's been doing that since the beginning of time. I was listening this morning to Brother Luke at Victor Tabernacle Church of God. He was giving a testimony. Did y'all see that this morning? How many of y'all watch Sam Luke in the Victor Tabernacle Church of God viewing? When I'm getting dressed ready for church, I'll turn him on. That guy, I love it, guy. I didn't realize that his wife had two miscarriages. 17 years, they didn't have a child. Then she carried a baby full term, and it was stillborn. And he was angry at God, rightfully so. And it was then that Satan began to lie to him. You know, God doesn't care about you. God let your son die, this and that. And he was angry at God. And he gave the testimony. And, and it really will go along somewhat with next week's message. He said, that finally, after I'm fast-forwarding, after a long battle struggling with this, God told him it's going to be all right. One day you will understand why this has happened. And it led him to... Uh, a lady that had five children. She was an unfit mother. Social services is getting ready to take them all out of the house. She watched him on TV and says, I want you to place my children in homes. He placed all, he's placed four of her five children. And the last one, the deputy sheriff that had gotten involved in this process brought this little girl that couldn't even talk to him. They called her squeaky because she couldn't even talk. And said, she said, she wants you to adopt squeaky. And he adopted her, and she became their daughter, Sarah, who is 30 years old now and has a daughter of her own. And he said, just the other day, I was holding her, and I found a, nib- a tickle place on her neck, and I was nibbling her neck and said, we have got this bond. And said, the Lord said, now you understand. He said, because had it not been for that, Squeaky would never have been in our life. She would never be Sarah, the, the children's pastor at another church of God. Isn't God awesome? I mean, that's a terrible thing. But listen, Satan will lie to you and say, God hates you. He doesn't care about you. And There's a purpose and a plan in everything God does. We may not understand it in this life, but one day we'll understand. How many of you believe that? Come on. There should be comfort in that. I don't always understand. And some of those things is hard to understand. It's hard to accept. But demons will lie to you. They're deceiving spirits. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, Do not despise prophecies test all things hold fast what is good abstain from every form of evil why if it's not God then it's the flesh which is evil or it is a demon which is evil so we need to test it when something is saying this or that to me I need to test it according to his word don't just believe every spirit Test them to see if they be of God or not because he will lie to you over and over and over again. That's what he does. The other thing is doctrines of devils. Where does doctrines come from? They come from people. You teach doctrine. 
Second Peter chapter 2 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So in other words, there are deceiving spirits that will lie to you. And there's doctrines of devils that are taught through men. Joseph Smith, Charles Taze Russell, Ellen White, Herbert W. Armstrong, just to name a few. And you can go to, I mean, there's lots of them out there. I don't know if you ever watch the Shepherd's Chapel, but don't bother. It's heresy. Listen, Satan deceived one-third of heaven's angels. Do you get this? What does it tell you about his ability to deceive? He deceived one-third of the angels. So how do we safeguard against Satan? who goes around seeking whom he may devour. Two ways. One, know what the genuine is. They teach you how to recognize counterfeit money by showing you what genuine dollars look like. They don't show you counterfeits. They show you the real thing. So when you see something that's not real, you know that's not real. First Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The first way you safeguard against deception is know your Bible. Come on. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed. I can show you the steps I was standing on in McGuire Nuclear Power Station when God screamed that in my spirit because I hated to read. I still don't love reading. But I wouldn't read. I'd go, so what do you think about this subject? And then I'd go, this guy, what do you think about this subject? Well, I'm asking a Presbyterian, and I'm asking a Methodist, and I'm asking a Baptist, and I'm asking a Pentecostal, and I'm getting 40,000 different answers. And I'm like, I don't think anybody knows this thing. And I was like, this is nuts. Does anybody know? You know, and I was going up the steps, and I was thinking about because I've had a heart and a hunger for God all, I mean, most of my adult life, you know. And man, I... I stepped on that step, and I heard God say, Stop doing that. You study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's when God began to stir in me. You've you got to learn how to study the word for yourself. Stop going and asking everybody else's opinion. So does God reveal things today through the Holy Spirit? Yes, He does. But what do we do with that? We put it to the test. We test all things. And the litmus test is the Scripture. The second way you can guard against Satan is 
it's through the gift of discerning of spirits. Now, church, this is nothing that you have control over. This is when everything looks right, it acts right, it sounds right, but something inside your spirit screams, that dog don't hunt. There's something wrong here. And sometimes it's a process to learn how to hear that. I'm going to give you a personal example, and I'm going to close. Because this is how I learned it, all right? I wanted to learn how to study the Scripture. I, my dad wanted me to go to, to Fruitland Seminary where he went. And I was like, I'm spirit-filled Christian, all right, at this time. And I'm like, Dad, you know... They don't believe in the baptism of the Spirit, you know. I didn't want to tell him that, but I knew that. I was like, I don't want to go there. I want to go somewhere where people believe in the gifts of the Spirit because I believed in that. I knew enough words to know that's the deal, you know. But I was Baptist, born in Baptist, bred, and bless God, when I die, I'll be a Baptist dead, you know. And that was the way I was back in the day, you know. So I'm like, I want, is there not a Baptist church somewhere that believes in it? Well, I found one. It's called Gloryland uh a Tabernacle Baptist Church had founded a Spirit-filled Baptist Bible College, Glory Land Bible College. And so I heard about it. I went there. I was like, man, this is awesome, you know, and I'm dumb as a bag of hammers. I didn't know you're supposed to, like, ask them if you can go to their school. I just went up and introduced myself that morning. I said, I'm coming to school here. He's like, oh, you are? I'm like, yeah. He thought I was a name and claim it guy, you know, so I wouldn't name nothing, claim nothing. I'm just like, I'm coming to school here, you know. And so they laid me off on a Thursday at Hopewell, Virginia. I picked up a U-Haul on the way home. By Saturday morning, I was in South Carolina from, Hope, from Holly Grove, Virginia, and in Bible college, and uh, signed up for Bible college. And so I, I crammed. Uh, I, I took summer courses. I took a, a full load in the fall, a full load in the spring. I took classes on Sunday morning, on Sunday evening. I mean, I was just cramming because I wanted to get this thing done. You know, because I'm kind of like that. I, when I, something I really, I'm not enjoying everything about it. I just want to hurry up and get it done, you know. I would, I would record the, the classes on a cassette tape. Remember the Walkman's cassette tape? Some of you people remember those things. I would record my classes because I was going to class from 7 in the morning to 11. Uh, from 8 in the morning, I'm sorry, to 11 and sometimes 12. Get off, go home, go to bed, get up at 7 o'clock weld all night long for a 12-hour shift to 7 the next morning. And so I didn't have time to study, so I put it on a Walkman, and I'd listen to it and weld and stuff. And, and so I'm cramming, cramming, cramming. Well, the fourth year, uh, they send you out to itinerate, and their focus was mainly in New England. So they said you can go to New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, or Connecticut, where you want to go. And I only knew one guy, so well, I'm going to go to Connecticut. I know Mark, you know. And so the whole time, the founder and the president of the Bible college, where's Hunter at wave at me? He, he knows because he's from that area. One of the, he's probably one of the smartest men that has ever been in my acquaintance. He is a genius. His IQ is off the charts. He knows the scripture inside and out. He brought in some of the most reputable speakers that, I mean, he brought them. That's where I met Lulu Roman from Hee Haw. Remember I told that story? He brought in Costa de Air, uh, David Duplantis, Mr. Pentecost. And I mean, just a whole lineup of speakers, John Carr. 
Marilyn Hickey was there, and there's a lot of them, you know. And so we're getting the best of the best. The academic dean, I felt good about. Loved her still to this day. She's actually at Lamb's Chapel. I ran into her when I went down there, Diane. Because I, I went on a journey here on my bike a few years ago, and I went to Lamb's Chapel to visit Lonnie Curl, who was the associate pastor of the Bible college. Associate Bible, associate pastor. Good guy. Bore witness with him. The founder and the president, the pastor, the smart guy, there was that dog don't hunt. There was something wrong. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I denied it. I kept telling Bernie, it's not him, it's you. Submit to your authority, submit to your authority. And what I didn't realize, it was a test. Because I ran into another guy who had to deal with some of the same things. He finally pulled out of the organization, and he said when they called him into a meeting, and I can tell you all about abusive authority. He said he called him into the meeting. God said, you have the heart of David. He would not raise his hand against Saul. And so this was a test, and I realized it later, many years later. And so finally I'm out. I'm in the field. I'm serving as associate pastor. I'm credentialed. This is 1986, 87. This is 1986. And now I'm in the higher echelon, and I'm seeing things. I'm like, OMG. This is not good. I caught this man in lie after lie after lie. This guy is a propitious liar. This is not an exaggeration of truth. That is an out-and-out, bald-faced lie. And my Bible tells me that, that you are of your devil, your father, the devil, who is a liar. And when he speaks, he lies. I'm like, that, that's not God. And so all this time I'm getting this, something's wrong. What is that? It's the gift of the discerning of spirits. There was a spirit at work here. But what I didn't realize, and no, let, me, let me tell you this, and I'm, I'm in Connecticut, and I'm like, God, what, do I, what, what am I doing here? I have missed you. I, something's wrong with this whole picture. I don't know what to do. I finally, I pulled out. I, I told him, I said, look, I can't be a part of this anymore. And now all of a sudden, I'm demon-possessed, and I mean, they started, boy, they started Bernie's got an independent spirit. He's gone off the deep end. He's gone quacky and he's flaky and he's listening to demon spirits and all this. His, his family's going to die. God's going to curse him. And oh, just you wouldn't believe. And I said, well, whatever. And I went to the, one of the conferences and a lady found out that I was struggling. And she brought me a book called Letters to a Devastated Christian. I don't know if you've ever read the book or not. Not everything in it applied, but many things did. And it's being under an authoritarian, independent who don't answer to anybody type ministry. And so I began to put this together, and I was like, Lord, something's wrong. And I didn't know any other pastor in the area than, than Pastor Robert Monzon. He was a, an Assembly of God pastor. So I went to the Assemblies of God. Can you see how God's orchestrating your steps? I mean, I thought I was like, I, I can understand Elijah in the wilderness sitting under the juniper tree, brother. I've been there, sat there. All right. And so I'm, I'm there, I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. And so I went on a total fast, nothing but water. I said, God, I've got to hear from you. On the fifth day, I heard two things in my spirit. One, go home and get your house in order. I said, God, I don't even know where home is. I said, we have moved all my life. I don't have a home. Home's wherever I, my hat's hanging. I, wh what do you mean go home? My family was still transit. Jeannie's family settled in Louisa, Virginia. 
a place I said I would never come back to, a place God prophesied over me in Bible college that I would go to Virginia. And I finally said, God, I will live in a mud hut in Africa. Just get me out of here. I'll go anywhere, even Virginia. <laughs> I love Virginia now, don't get me wrong. But God said, go home and get your house in order. And so I toiled over there. I said, oh, I guess Virginia's the place, you know. The second thing was, glory land will fall like a house of cards. And I just kind of tucked that away, but I knew I heard God say that. Well, I had moved here, served on another pastor for nine years, planted this work, and was well into ministering here. One day I was going to teach on a series, and I wanted some material from the Bible college. So I called Hunter's dad, Glenn. I said, Glenn, do me a favor. He said, what's that? I said, would you run over to the school and get this series by, um, in Red Oak, Red Oak, California, I forget his name now, and get that series for me. I said, I really don't want to call down there. He said, could you just go pick that up and mail it to me? He said, Bernie, Gloryland's not there. I said, what do you mean it's not there? He said, you haven't heard? I'm like, brother, I severed ties with them. I haven't heard, talked to anybody. And you know, 15 years, they heard how long he's been. He said, brother, overnight it just fell apart like that. And when he said that, I remembered what God said, that it will fall like a house of cards. They discovered, I'm, I'm talking about discerning of spirits, right? The whole time something is telling me, this, something's wrong with this guy. He was a closet practicing homosexual the whole time. He was arrested by an undercover uh, sled agent in South Carolina for propositioning an undercover cop. He was sentenced to 41 years for four felonies. I told you he's a smart guy because I looked it up. He's already out. He hadn't, didn't serve four years. He's out already. And started another Bible college. Listen to me, church. It can look right. It can sound right. It can act right. But you need to learn to listen to that, brother. When God says that dog don't hunt, brother, it don't hunt. Now, I know that's a southern term, but how many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that chicken don't fry or something. It's, it's, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. And you need to learn to listen to that. I, I, I'm out of time here. I'm going to wrap this up. But Paul ran into the same situation with the demon-possessed girl. Remember that? She followed him around for days, saying, Here are these men. These are men of God that teaches us the way of salvation. Listen, he didn't have the gift of discernment. He didn't. In fact, if you're going into a town and you've got a cheerleader following behind you, he's like, hey, everybody, come, come, come. Listen to this guy, man. He's showing us the way of salvation. You're like, okay, come on, be, be my cheerleader. But the Bible says she had a spirit of divination. And eventually, finally, I believe the manifestation of the gift of discernment, Paul's like, something's wrong with it. It looks right, sounds right, but something's wrong. And he turned around and cast the demon out of her last thing in, in 2 Corinthians and I promise I'm going to close with this <clears throat> um, verse 12 2 Corinthians 11 verse 12 it says but what I do I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire the opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which we, they boast 
For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You want a litmus test to test something to see if it's wrong or not. All right. There are some things you can do. The Bible says a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. One way you can judge something to see if it's of an evil spirit or not is listen to what they say. And also James said, show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Because the word works means corresponding action. Because faith without corresponding action is dead. So you can watch what they do. But church, sometimes you can't tell by what they say and you can't tell by what they do. If there is a gift of the Spirit that the church needs in the 21st century, it is the discerning of spirits. You need to pray for that. God, tell me, I, none of us in here wants to be deceived. And Satan's good at this. The Bible says you'll know the truth. Truth will make you free. I will know the truth, amen, and I know you do too. So I pray, God, give me a discerning of spirits. And, and I've, I've had that gift manifest. There's been people that came through the door. They had all the right words. They said the right things. And I've seen people swept into their aura that followed them and just thought they were awesome. And I had their number the day they walked in the door. Why didn't you just go up and cast that demon out of them? Like Paul did. Well, let me ask you something. Why didn't Jesus do the same thing to the Pharisees? He didn't cast a demon out of them. But he told him, you are of your father the devil. And his bidding you will do. Because he was a liar from the beginning. And when he speaks of himself, he speaks a lie because he is a liar. And the father of liars. And you are his children. He's dealing with people that had demon spirits or evil spirits in them. He didn't cast the demons out of them. Because there's a difference between a, a, a little girl that's possessed with a demon that doesn't choose to have that and somebody that's walking deception because they choose to walk in that. There's a difference. I'm not even sure you can cast that out of them. And so I've had people come in and they, you know, they think they done schmoozed though Pastor B. And I'm loving on them, praying for them, hoping that God is going to set them free. You know, and I could give you examples, but I'm not going to go there. There's one I've, I've dealt with for years and I finally I just had to call them into meetings like, look... We, we, we can't, can't keep kicking this can down the road here. You know, there, we got to deal with this. And finally, sitting in that meeting, I had a board member with me, and I, finally the Lord revealed to me that this person had a root, a root of rejection from their childhood. They could not submit to authority. Three pastors before me was their problem. Now I'm their problem. And the Lord showed me, every time you try to bring correction in this person's life, they don't see that you're trying to help them. They see that you're rejecting them. And I told this person that, and they're like, who are you to tell me I forgot more about the spirit than you know kind of an attitude. And I'm like, well, I can't help you. I want you to know I love you. I'll always be here for you. But we can't keep doing this. So you need that discernment. Amen?
Come on, we need that. And, and I want you to have that because I sent a book around. I had all of my intercessory priorities. I had all my elders lead it called uh, uh, Unveiling the Jezebel Spirit by Ron, John Paul Jackson. Was that his name? And while everything in it I didn't agree with, Unmasking the Jezebel Spirit is a very good book to read. I'm not a big advocate of promoting paperbacks, but that's one I would recommend you read because I want you to be aware of spirits that's operating in the church so that you're not caught up in that. Because I've lost people to that kind of thing. People, they believe that and they believe that spirit and they're caught up in that spirit. Next thing you know, they're gone. Been swept away with that thing. Amen? I hope that's helped you. Are you still with me? Say amen. If you're not, don't lie, but say amen anyway. <laughs> amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? We'll go ahead and dismiss this morning. I know I'm not preaching like and giving altar calls and that kind of thing. We're teaching. I was requested to do a teaching, and that's what I'm going to do. And, and when the Lord's ready to do what he did last week, he'll, he'll do that. Amen. But listen, if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to give you the opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of your life. You know, you can be a Christian today. And it's as simple as understanding, I need Jesus in my life, confessing your sins to him, inviting him into your heart. It really is that simple. Amen. So when we close in prayer, if you would just pray, God, save me. Save my soul. I don't want to go to hell. I want to live in heaven with you. Forgive me my sin. He'll come in your heart and live today. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the teaching, Lord. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit, Lord. We do know that they are still for today. They're for the body of Christ. And, Lord, we need them. God, we need words of knowledge to encourage one another. We need words of wisdom to know what to do with knowledge. Lord, we need the discerning of spirits, God, so that we're not taken in by the enemy. He roams to and fro over the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Lord, he wants to deceive us. He wants to lie to us. He wants to teach us false doctrine. But, Father, we pray that you... Just, Lord, we study so that we can use the, the word as a litmus test, God, as a plumb line to test things to see if they be of you or not. But, God, sometimes we, we don't see it, God. Is they've got it so covered and so camouflaged. Satan has done such a thorough job through his deception that there is no indicators that we can see and identify what's going on. And, God, it's in those moments that we need the manifestation of your spirit, Lord, to give us that inner witness that something is wrong with that. And Lord, that we need to distance ourselves from that or at least pray, God, and to try to help that person see it possibly. So Lord, we ask now today, God, that you manifest those gifts in and through the body of Christ, Lord, uh, so that we can walk, God, in, in uh, your favor, God, and your direction and your purpose in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as we leave the sanctuary today, God, we pray, Lord, that you will just direct us through this week, God. Lord, bring people across our path, Lord, that we can uh, effectively witness to. God, we pray that when we do that, Lord, you do things that's totally beyond ourselves. God, you give us the ability to reach them in a way that will draw them into uh, a relationship with you, God. So, Father, give us the boldness to share our witness, God. Give us the words to say, Lord. Uh, and then, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would bless every home that is represented here today, God. May it be a refuge, O oh God. May it be an escape from the world, Lord, a place where you are honored, a place where you're welcome. Father, strengthen the relationship today between husbands and their wives, siblings one with the other, and parents towards their children. In Jesus' mighty name, 
Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.